everybody. Spartan Hour. Brad Bynum, your host. Uh, joined with my famous co-host, JC Mignot. How are you doing today, bro? Yeah, I'm not sure about famous, but I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm not going to complain about this heat. I am not. Although I complained about the weather the past three weeks, uh, I'm not going to complain about this. <laughs> it's beautiful outside. I, I sat under my gazebo yesterday and worked all day, and it was it was fantastic. But it was hot. It was hot there. But uh, mm -hmm. Brody, the Great Dane, man, he found some shade, and he stayed there for a few hours. Yeah, you, I saw you, him you yesterday. Saw him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Hey, let's give a shout out to our sponsors there, JC. Start us off. Yeah, so let's go with uh, SpartanWellness.ca for all your medical cannabis. Uh, and uh, if you're a veteran, transitional medicine needs, um, SpartanWellness.ca. Hey, check it out. It's uh, it's a good org for sure. MagicalButter.com or Magical.com. They've just mm -hmm. done a little bit of a rebrand. Great device. I use it all the time to... Uh, to make my medicine, uh, infusing herbs with uh, medical cannabis or whatever kind of uh, 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 herb you want to use, but uh, using using tincture, butters, uh, everything you want. Uh, MagicalButter.com, amazing device. They also have uh, they've launched their uh, hemp derived CBD line there down down Tampa Bay, Tampa and, and the states, and it's a, it's incredible product. Tried it and it's fantastic for you. What do we got next? We also have the Emeritus uh, Emeritus uh, .ca, Emeritus Golf Tour, which uh, you and I both uh, did yesterday. It was an amazing event. Uh, the weather held up for us, and man, it was just great. EmeritusGolf.ca. It's a yeah. tour. It's a tour for the families of veterans and veterans serving first responders, RCMP, juniors. Come on out, check it out. Get to the website. Amazing time. Hey, you know, actually, I played pretty good at that first tournament. I finished second overall. Yeah, I saw that. I did yeah. not. Well, you know, I, I got out later. I had I had an extra two minutes at the range time with this COVID just, thing. You, you only got five minutes, so I, I stole two just, minutes. I got seven. Uh, by the way, that was my first time out this year swinging a club, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you can hit the ball far, JC. So everybody, yeah, if you're a veteran out there, first responder, emeritusgolf.ca, check it out. Great thing. And then our favorite dude, thewellnesssoldier.com. Chef Cody Lindsay. A veteran. Man. Yep. Yeah. Check out his website, wellnesssoldier.com, thewellnesssoldier.com. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, you can go there and learn how to infuse beautiful creations, uh, recipes, foods, with your medical cannabis, he goes over titration and and how how, how to get the, the the levels you want. Uh, so great 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 resource for cooking and learning how to infuse food with cannabis. TheWellnessSoldier.com. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm pretty excited, JC. We've got incredibly two amazing women joining our show right now. Yeah. Uh, you know Ashley Brown, founder and CEO of She Can, and 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 Erin O'Shaughnessy from. Uh, uh, nurse practitioner start wellness. Listen, we're going to be back, everybody. We're going to we're going to do a formal introduction. Uh, we're just going to take a little break for this quick message. Uh, stay tuned. Be right back shortly. Spartan Hour brought to you by Spartan Wellness. Are you interested in learning about medical cannabis and how it can help you and incorporate in your healthy lifestyle? Contact us at www.spartanwellness.ca or you give us a call at one eight seven seven two one nine one two you can also email us at info at spartanwellness.ca. Check out our website, www.spartanwellness.ca, to learn more about medical cannabis and our services. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Spartan Hours here. We have Bye and your host, 
joined with JC Mignon, uh, Medical Director for Spartan Wellness. How are you doing today? Are we ready to introduce our guests? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So joining us today, like I said, uh, Ashley Brown, founder and CEO, She Can, and Erin O'Shaughnessy, nurse practitioner, Spartan Wellness. Ashley, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you, Riyadh and JC. I'm just uh, just fabulous today. Yeah. Uh, how's the weather out there in the uh, Winnipeg area, I believe? Oh, you had to mention that that's where I'm uh, currently hunkered down. Well, actually, it's beautiful, so I will take it. The sun is shining through my office window and uh, got out this morning with my youngest daughter and did some yoga outside at 7 o'clock, so it's the beginning of a, of a great day, for sure. Excellent, excellent. Erin, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you, gentlemen. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing well. I'm Great. doing well. <laughs> JC, you doing well? <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I, I would I would have liked to have gone outside for yoga this morning, but I, I can't imagine how I could pull that off. I'm not very uh, flexible, to say the least. So, yeah, I think I would have hurt myself more than anything. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not flexible. No, yeah. no. Yeah. I didn't say it was flexible, JC. I said I went outside and did yoga. There's a very big difference. I don't, I don't know what yoga is. How about that? All right. Uh, all I know is downward dog. Yeah. Hey, yoga is becoming a huge thing. You know what? It's a great, I, I like it actually. Uh, I'm definitely not flexible and uh, whatever. I, I tried that hot yoga one time and it was a 45 minute class. After 20, I just lied there. But uh it was pretty good, but yoga's becoming huge. So, hey, let's Ashley, let's let's cut to the chase. Who's Ashley Brown? Give us, give us, give us, give us Ashley Brown's story. Well, uh, I am, as you mentioned, the founder and CEO of She Can, uh, which is an online digital network of, of female medical cannabis patients in Canada. But I am most importantly a patient myself. And when it comes to the rest of my life, I'm also a mom to two girls who are 11 and 15 and uh, a stepmom to, to three human adults and uh, two uh, granddaughters who are uh, three and four. So we have a busy family life, we have a busy work life, and we have a busy advocacy being a good human in the world or trying life. So that's kind of me in a nutshell uh, in terms of who I am. And uh, yeah, I mean, my life as a patient is very much intertwined with the work I do, for sure. It's at the at the core of everything, I think. I see. So that's probably like your, a lot of your passions coming from there as well, on a personal level. Right. Yeah. As a as a role model for my daughters, and also you know, with my own story, I started using medical cannabis uh, in 2016. We reached kind of the end of our rope in terms of traditional medicine, which happens to a lot of people. I started having seizures in 2009 when my youngest daughter was about three months old and it, it happened overnight. Uh, I had a massive tonic-clonic seizure and from that day forward, everything was really changed. I was having 180 and upward seizures a month and uh, it, it was a really long, long time before, you know, I was able to even find my footing. And, you know, there's a lot of loss as there often is with illness. So I lost my job. I lost, you know, our home. Uh, eventually my relationship, you know, just couldn't sustain the, the stress of being so disabled. And it was a real challenge to be a good parent to two young children at the time. 
And so in 2016, when we kind of got to this place where doctors had done everything they could and just said, we're going to have to try and manage quality of life. And, you know, um, when it comes to epilepsy, they actually treat you as palliative. If they get to the point where there's no, um, you know, there's no recourse for them, they, they actually call it palliative. Um, so they, they look at treating kind of the other the other elements of it, knowing that they probably won't be able to to cure your seizures. So that was, um, you know, it pushed me into a really, a really dark place. And I think for the first time, I didn't feel hope. And so when my girlfriend, who had recently gotten her medical authorization, came, uh, you know, came to my house on a on a rare day where we were both feeling well enough, she said, "Hey, I, you know, I've gotten this document to use cannabis for my Lyme disease." And she said, I really think you should try this. And she had some, some tweed CBD oil in a, in a syringe, those 10 ml syringes, this, you know, 2016, the ACMPR, giant, giant bottles, the giant bottles of oils that had just started, you know, becoming widely available to people. And uh, I, I said, well, you know, <laughs> we smoked a lot of pot. We went to college together. Like it's, it's great. Uh, you know, it's a big part of our, our friendship and we like to go to the zoo and watch the bison when we're sitting there high, but I don't see how you know, it's going to help my seizures. Like, I'm not really sure how that's going to be different. And she said, no. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, no, this is uh, this is medical cannabis and it's different. And this is a woman who had visited me in the hospital multiple times when I've been hospitalized as a result of seizures. and. Uh, I felt like I had to do it for her. So uh, we were going to the cottage as a family for the first time. And uh, I decided to take this medicine along. I thought, well, what do I have to lose? Uh, I took a dose every day for the, the four days that we were there. And for the first time in seven years, I was seizure free for more than 24 hours. Wow. Wow. That's so that, that must have been that must have been just. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It still uh, it still feels surreal because for me and my partner, we kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that nothing was necessarily going to get better. So to have this medicine in your hand that all of a sudden gives you relief that you've never had and the ability to go sit on the beach without having a seizure and watch your kids play in the water, um, you know, it was it was life altering. So we came back and we. You know, we said, okay, well, how do I get an authorization and, you know, do this legally? Because I didn't know how to make my own oil or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a clinic. My doctor was not willing to authorize. I was terrified, actually, because he was handling my disability file. So I thought, well, if I go to this guy and I say I want pot, you know, is he going to fire me as a patient? You know, he's holding a lot of my of my life and my security in his hands. And uh, he didn't go so far as to do that. But he said, yeah, you know, I don't know enough about it. There's a clinic down the street. Go see them, and huh. that's what I did. And thankfully, they they were there. They were the first clinic in Winnipeg. And at, at that point, I was kind of like left to my own devices, right? Like, where do I start? What's a licensed producer? What are these things? So went to the internet, yeah. and uh, yeah, it is. And then yeah. you go to the internet. And there's all these people who are like you, and they're mm-hmm. trying to find their way. And yeah. you're trading information. And there's some smart people out there, especially a lot of the growers. I mean, they, they know a lot about this medicine, but they're not necessarily a fan of, you know, the legal ACMPR system at the time, and rightly so. So it was hard to get that kind of information because I wanted to access legal medical cannabis. And we started to hear, you know, other women feel that way too. So uh, 
three years ago, 2017, June 1st, actually. So coming up on Monday, it'll be three years. Uh, myself and a few other like-minded women decided we probably should just create a space where we could talk openly and there would be no dumb questions. Mm -hmm. And we could make it about the, the ACMPR at the time and the legal access points that we had and, and talk about dosing and talk about our conditions openly. And, uh, and here we are at almost uh, 9,000 patients. So, wow. That's, yeah. that's an amazing story. That's awesome. Wow. Well, we'll definitely, we're going to get into a little bit more about that uh, later on for sure. I want to, you know, talk about maybe a little bit more about uh, uh, the epilepsy and that late onset as it, as it were, because uh, my wife uh, also uh, uh, has epilepsy and it was a late onset. So I'd like to, maybe even offline, we could talk about that. Uh, that'd be awesome. So uh, let's talk uh, to uh, Aaron O'Shaughnessy now. Uh, you can unmute yourself and tell us uh, who Aaron is. Um, thanks, guys. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner. Uh, for people who may not know what a nurse practitioner is, and that's a really common thing, we're registered nurses. So I graduated from nursing back in the 80s. I'm aging myself here. But graduated from nursing back in the 80s and became a nurse practitioner about 20 years later, nurse practitioners are master's prepared registered nurses. Most of us have come through either the emergency or the intensive care uh, areas. And we take advanced uh, education to be able to diagnose uh, and prescribe medication and order uh, lab tests and very much function similar to family doctors in many, many ways. Um, my cannabis journeys are quite different from Ashley's. Um, because I started my cannabis journey as a practitioner. So initially, when I first graduated from nursing in the 80s, there wasn't a lot in complementary and alternative approaches to medical care, but it was something that interested me from day one, probably because a couple of my instructors were European, and I was taught therapeutic touch, which is probably the precursor to Reiki. Uh, is probably the closest way to explain it. So I had my eyes open very early that maybe me the medical system didn't have all the answers. And I've kind of conducted my career for many years thinking that, that there was more to it than just prescription meds. When I moved into um, uh, frontline nursing, I moved into pediatrics. Ultimately, 20 some odd years into my career, I landed in the, on the oncology unit as the head nurse and then a clinical nurse specialist and started seeing synthetic THC used in children, helping them manage their um, symptoms from chemotherapy. Right. And that was a bit of an eye-opener. You're giving synthetic what to a five-year-old? Mm -hmm. But that's exactly what we were doing. And in 2013, I ended up writing a clinical practice guideline that included nabalone, which is synthetic THC, as a way of managing oncology patients who were struggling with nausea and vomiting from chemo in pediatrics. And that became an accepted guideline across the province. So Nabilone became very ingrained in care at that point. That was huge to think that we were using something like that in a child, but it worked. It worked really, really well. Um, that was 2013. Fast forward about a year and I find myself in a relationship with a gentleman who has Crohn's and quickly discovered that he has used medical cannabis for 20 odd years to manage his symptoms before medical cannabis was even a thing. Yeah. He had a very forward thinking family doctor who when he was first diagnosed, took quite a while to get him diagnosed. He was very thin um, and um, his family doctor asked him, 
can you get your hands on some pot? This 20 years ago. And he's a musician, so of course he can get his hands on some pot. Uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I got a couple of buddies that grow it. Shh, they didn't hear that. But yeah, so that was exactly how he started using cannabis. He'd been smoking since he was 17. And they, musicians, full disclosure, smoke when they write music. It just opens up their minds and their spirits. So this wasn't anything unusual, but using it medically was. And he started using it 20 years ago and has to this day felt that medical cannabis was is the reason why half the time he can eat, he can function, he can move and do his normal day to day. Um, my story is a little bit different. I'm a brain injury patient. I had a brain tumor diagnosed in uh, 2012 after many years. It I suffered a stroke, which was how they found the brain tumor. So I struggle with... Uh, essentially a traumatic brain injury created by brain surgery and all of the side effects of that, memory loss, issues with concentration, focus. Um, fortunately, I don't have a lot of headaches, but I do get some dizziness and things like that and wicked restless legs. So I started, okay, you know, if, if he's using cannabis and I'm not seeing him in any way dysfunctional, he's going to work, he holds a job, he has a normal life, we do all these kinds of things, cannabis is just part of the day-to-day, -day. maybe I need to think about this for myself and started exploring um, what I could potentially do for myself. Around that time, I also got authorized to prescribe medical cannabis through some changes in legislation in Ontario for nurse practitioners. And as I started into that aspect of my, my being, then discovered SheCan, which opened a lot of doors for me. And I think I've been part of SheCan now for, I'd have to go back and look, but a couple years. I think when I joined, we were maybe 2,000, 2,500 in there. Like, so it's just grown exponentially. And the knowledge that existed there really helped guide me both as a patient, but also as a practitioner by listening to stories. Because as we all know, there's not a lot of research hard and fast on cannabis. So what do we have to do? We need to listen to people. And guess what? As a nurse, first thing they teach you day one as a baby nurse is listen to your patient. Before you do anything else, listen to your patient. And I feel like um, cannabis fits very well into that kind of mindset. And she can embodies that perspective and always has from day one. So I've relied on it to guide me in, in my practice with Spartan and other clinics that I've worked in. Yeah, Aaron, man, listen, that, you know, this, that's a great story. And, and, you know, you're right. It's the stories right now, the anecdotal stories, as, as, as the medical community will say, but uh, they're real life stories, right? And uh, what better way to hear it from the people? And, and I want to talk about that, Ashley. Let's talk more about SheCan, because really, that's what you've, you know, you've gone and done and created is, is, a, is a place where people can trust each other, uh, be open and, and, and get good Good, good knowledge of what's, what medical cannabis can do. Well, I think, you know, the first thing I'll say is it's a credit to the community that they can show up for each other because I, I like the term founder because it implies that I found it. And I think that that was a process of discovery. And what it really showed me was that at the root of medical cannabis is this really incredible opportunity to take people that otherwise have felt isolated or, you know, they've been at their wits end through the medical system. You know, it's not a, a first line medicine. 
Um, you know, I, I think Erin's really good at advocating for it being first, and we're really fortunate to have nurse practitioners, uh, you know, on the front lines, ensuring that those voices are heard. But for a lot of patients, they, they come to us and they're just, this is the last thing they ever thought they'd be trying. And the reason that it works so well isn't just because it's a, a plant with a million different compounds and, and so many different potential applications. It's because it's something that we're discovering together. So the community was kind of built around those individual stories, not just mine, which carried me there. And that's how I found myself there. But, you know, thousands and thousands of stories that are as heartbreaking as interesting, as unbelievable, and as important as my own. And I feel um, extremely privileged to watch these humans build this, this circle for themselves where they can, they can talk freely about this medicine that, you know, whether we like it or not, is still very stigmatized and misunderstood, especially for women who, you know, Sometimes I think women put stigma upon themselves because they have such a high standard to which they hold themselves to. So as mothers, as caregivers, as, you know, as loved ones and partners, they, they expect that they should do everything right. And sometimes they're looking for permission to do things for themselves. And medical cannabis is largely, you know, a very personal journey. It's something you have to do for yourself. The beauty of it is that when they tell their stories and they get comfortable and they become, you know, very engaged in this group. I mean, this is a group, you know, the closed community on Facebook is you know, um, almost 4,400 members. And in any given month, 83% of those members are active. So they're either, you know, supporting each other or they're bringing their own information or they're asking their own questions or they're just reading. And that has an exponential effect, I think, on community itself because they take that back to their families, to their practices, to, yeah. you know, to the people that matter to them. And on average, they will be the, the ambassador for what it means to be, you know, a medical cannabis patient in Canada. It also doesn't take long to see how we may be, you know, lacking in research, but we're not lacking in critical mass as patients in Canada. There are yeah. enough of us and it's been, you know, it's been 20 years. So it's it's more a matter of getting everybody to a place where, you know, they, they start to have common themes despite their illnesses and they start to see what is important to them. And the beauty of doing this with a, a community of women is that then they start to ask really great questions, first about the plant itself, and then about the process of access, and then also about why things don't work so well. So why is medical cannabis being taxed? And why isn't it accessible? And why can't I get it, you know, through a pharmacist or at a storefront as a medical patient? And they just naturally turn into these incredible ambassadors and advocates because they feel safe doing it because they've been accepted by others and they know they're not alone. And that to me is something I feel incredibly humbled by every single day. You know, that's the goal when I wake up in the morning is, is not necessarily to tell people what they need. It's to, to be able to witness them, you know, say that this is what they're looking for and this is what they found. It's great. Eh? And, and, and it's, you're, you're, you're watching people slowly, empower themselves and 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 take on the the, the goal and, and the mission to, to to recover themselves right so it's to be part of that it's amazing we see it all the time in spartan wellness aaron i'm sure you can talk about it you know uh prescribing for spartan wellness there uh the outcomes that are so beneficial for medical cannabis 
Absolutely. And just to support a little bit more what Ashley has been saying, and we understand this intimately at Spartan Wellness, the importance of peer support, which is why our advisors are all veterans themselves, because they can legitimately say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And this is the experience we have in SheCan. A new member will come on. Oftentimes, they actually are so nervous, they will ask the admin to post their question because they're not comfortable. That doesn't last long, usually. But um, patients will introduce their story and immediately get 30 or 40 comments on yeah, I hear you. I understand. This is where I'm at. This is what I've tried. So there's this wonderful sort of outpouring. And um, I see it as almost like a communal hug. And we've seen that in more than one circumstance where someone is having a really rough time and the entire group literally rallies around them. And the next thing you know, they don't feel alone and they don't feel like they're out in left field. And they understand that everybody's different and they, 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 they feel comfortable saying, okay, I tried this. It didn't work. What do I do now? You know, and we share reviews on new products. So people benefit enormously from the breadth and the depth of the experience that's in the group, but also just the empathy and the nurturing that Ashley and her fellow admins have worked so hard to uh, encourage and to 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 support because that that's so important when you've got people, especially women, as she said, who are facing this stigma as moms. Oh my God, I'm using cannabis. Is CAS going to show up at my door? And that question has come up, and we have to reinforce and reassure. But if you realize there's four thousand other women in this country using cannabis just like you are, and that's just the ones we know about, all of a sudden you don't feel like you're the worst mother on the planet for doing something that is probably actually making you a better mom. But the state yeah. is telling you otherwise. And this is some of what Ashley's experienced herself with her age of kids. My kids are older, but younger kids, it's a whole other kettle of fish. And she has been enormous. And just the other thing, too, is they are, if anybody wants to do research, we got a great group of people sitting there, just captive audience waiting to be explored in terms of every aspect possible. Every aspect. Yeah, I know. You know, it, it, you're right. Um, and and Ashley, listen, you know, I'm a member of SheCan. Uh, I enjoy it. I actually go there to, to, to see what's going on if certain questions are asked. But it's not just antidotal, though. You have... You have some pretty uh, qualified people also making uh, that are members of the SheCan group and, and, and they're able to provide some insight on a, on a professional medical level as well, correct? Uh, yes and no. So the way that we kind of look at it is um, we want everybody to, to be treated as a patient first. So um, we know that there are patients among the professionals, right? Like Aaron is a perfect example. Uh, mm -hmm. These are these are people who are coming to us and saying, like, I'm a patient and also I'm a practitioner. So I want to do I want to do good work. I want to be able to help people. And also, this is my lived experience. So that stems from really early on noticing that a lot of the people in the front lines at clinics and licensed producers were patients themselves. And I didn't want to exclude them. Like the, it was, it was a point of uh, of conflict in the beginning because a lot of people said, "Okay, no med," and yeah. I said, "That doesn't work because if our goal is to empower people and we're seeking knowledge and and experience to 
shut out men completely would be to deprive ourselves of those resources as well. And the second hurdle was around uh, around industry. So, you know, I didn't feel it was right to exclude these women who were working on the front lines, these women who were working in positions who were also patients and had a very vested interest in their own wellness as well. So naturally what happens is these are already people who hold, you know, a subject matter expert role, right? So when you have the the years of nursing that Erin has, you know, there's naturally going to be not only lived experience, but also professional experience. So um, the community feels comfortable knowing that, that it's patient first, but they also love the depth and breadth of the experience of some of the stakeholder, you know, patients that are part of our community. So they, they have kind of the best of both worlds. And then we have the resources to send them to. So we can send them to Spartan, we can send them to Erin, you know, and, uh, and we can, we can direct them that way so that, you know, we're not dispensing medical advice, but we, we're allowing them the runway to, to go find that information. Well, it's like well. you said, it's, 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 you know, JC, we see it a lot too, right? It, 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 for someone who's never done it, it it's the, 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 the anxiety associated with just taking that first step is, is very difficult. I can tell you on a personal level, uh, it's 24 years in the army. I tried a little bit in high school and stuff, but it wasn't really my thing. But, you know, after I left the military, I, I, I you know, when somebody said cannabis, ugh, whatever, it's, you know, you can't do that. So it's, that's your druggie. You're a druggie. Right. But uh, it took a good friend of mine, uh, one of the co-founders of Spartan, he, you know, a good six, seven months to finally convince me to, to a point where I was actually going to talk to him about it face to face. And when I did try it, you know, I followed the directions slow and low and and, and titrate properly. And, and you know what? Very quickly, I realized it, it was good for me. JC, you know, you saw my turnaround, and I've seen you come around quite a bit as well. So, it's amazing that you've that you're part of. You found, as you said, found it, uh, <clears throat> which I think is a fantastic way to put it. Um, you've created an environment where people can go there to take to learn to take that first step in a trust in a trust and confident way. So it's it's very it's very impressive, very impressive, Aaron. Quick question on, you know, cannabis, a lot of people say, you know, cannabis, it works, it, you know, certain men need this kind of cannabis, certain women need this kind of cannabis, you know, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. In your experience overall, how, 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 how is cannabis interacting with, with people's different injuries and stuff? Is it, is it difficult to narrow down or is it, did you just give a general type, you know, this strain will help with this and, and so forth? Um, that's a really good question, and um, the long and the short answer is that it depends. Um, I I don't believe there's a one-size-fits-all approach with any diagnosis. There are gender differences. We know that. Uh, both Lashley and I have seen them, and there's good research to support that women do metabolize mm -hmm. cannabis differently because their estrogen mm -hmm. levels are higher than men. Uh, significantly, and they vary throughout their lifespan and indeed throughout their month, as we know. And there, there's a difference in body fat percentage. And if you know anything about what, how cannabis metabolizes, you know that fat's very important. So women may be more sensitive to the effects of products such as THC than men would be. So there is some thought process around that piece. But as far as the individual diagnoses themselves. There's some research we know, for example, for seizures, very high CBD is 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 a good um, 
product. Now, unfortunately, the studies that have been done have been in pediatrics, not in adults. So when I'm working with, say, a seizure disorder, and I'm going to pick on Ashley because uh, I know she won't mind. But if I'm talking with someone with a seizure disorder, you're going to talk about triggers and figure out what is it that triggers seizures. Typically in adults, or very often in adults, sleep deprivation is a major trigger. So you're going to manage that. So there's this whole overall assessment of about talk to me about your symptoms, talk to me about what you've tried, talk to me about what's worked and what hasn't worked. Have you tried cannabis before? What have you tried? How did it go? My typical approach, and I think most practitioners are the same, and I know at Spartan we support this, is we want combination approaches. So I want people to use underlying long-lasting products like an oil or a capsule or an edible and supplement as needed with smoking or vaping if that's something that they're okay to do. Not everybody is. As far as the individual strains, it's very user-dependent, but I tend to go high CBD for day, higher THC as you're going into evenings. Pain seems to respond better to combination approaches. So there is research that helps guide us as far as strain choices. We know a little bit now about the medical effects of various terpenes, but ultimately everybody's biology is so different. I am not going to be able to say to Ashley, this is what you need, girl. You need this, 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 and this. And she actually be interesting to talk to Ashley because I know how many things she's tried and how much manipulation she's done with various products to get to where she is today. And that's typical of medical cannabis patients. If there's one thing to understand, it's that it, this can take a bit of time to get to the sweet spot. And please hang in there, be patient, you'll get there. But it, won't be, it may not be overnight. And that's probably one of the most important messages we share on SheCan is patients keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Look at what works, what doesn't, and then talk to people about, I tried this, it didn't work. Okay, what could be next? So we do do a lot of, and this is why the follow-up appointments are so important, that follow-up appointments that everybody hates, this is why, is to make sure that people are on track and to help with advice and support if they're starting to get frustrated because nothing's working. You know, and we're a society that we want everything yesterday. Unfortunately, cannabis takes a little longer than yesterday mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. figure itself out. Would you agree with that, Ashley, that it takes time and a lot of trial and error to get to a successful regime? Yeah, I, I do. I think that that's actually one of the the biggest reasons that people fail at cannabis is a lack of support because, you know, I'm very explicit about this. And I think it's it's really important and often overlooked because it's part of the the reality. And we, we don't want to we don't want to give critics of medical cannabis any reason um, you know, to dismiss this medicine. But at the same time, cannabis is not a magic bullet. You know, it has obviously changed my life. I've been able to return to work. I'm you know, able to actively parent my children. I learned how to ride a bike again, but it hasn't cured me. I still have, you know, 15 to 20 seizures a month. And there hasn't been a combination of medical cannabis and seizure meds that have gotten me to a cure. There is no cure for epilepsy anyways. So I think it's really important to balance expectation too, especially because we hear so much from the U.S. about CBD. Um, When people come to us, especially women, they come and they want to talk about CBD and how much they should take and how it's going to help them with all these things. And those kind of unsubstantiated, exaggerated claims, you know, create an expectation that 
often dooms them to fail. So some of what we're doing is actually talking them out of believing that this may be the answer to everything and talking them into understanding that it's potentially a really good adjunct for a lot of things, but progress is a process. So we have to be able to kind of understand from the outset that like any other medicine, it's going to take time to work. We need that medical guidance. We need to understand that it may not replace all of our medications and that that's not failure. That's not failure to use medicine. And, and something we talk about in She Can a lot, you know, people come to us, a lot of people want to get off of certain medications. They're on a lot of medications, they want off of them. Sometimes that happens. A lot of times that happens. 72% of our members have been able to discontinue one or more medications as a result of medical cannabis. A further 27%, you know, have found themselves able to decrease a medication. But the fact is that it's not a magic bullet and we want to make sure people understand that because we're used to, especially as women being told what to put in our bodies. So here's what we should do. Here's what we can do. Here's the dose you're going to take. Here's how long you have to take it for. And here we're being handed all this power. We're being handled all this autonomy and it feels overwhelming. But at the end of the day, it's actually, you know, can be, the first time that a woman with a chronic illness or disability feels like she's holding, you know, her potential healing in her own hands. So You're it's about managing yeah. that expectation. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's awesome. You, you know what? I, I, I was thinking, Aaron, um, as we talk about, you know, not everything is, uh, you know, as it was. So when I first learned about uh, cannabis, medical cannabis and indica versus sativa, you know, uh, indica being in the couch, uh, you know, sativa is uplifting. Uh, and so I started going that route and I realized, if, I don't know if that's really necessary for me. And then you brought it up uh, a couple of weeks ago, how, you know, there was a study out there and that's completely out the window, especially with, uh, you know, brain injuries or PTSD and stuff like that. Uh, you just comment on that a little? Sure. So typically, um, for many years, the typical nomenclature, and please jump in, Ashley, because I know this is a topic that you speak about frequently in the group. Um, um, we, we've talked about indica strains and sativa strains as being two, almost like two different creatures, uh, uh, types of medical cannabis. Um, if you know anything about how they determine them, they look at the size of the plant when this thing sprouts and goes, okay, that's an indica, that's a sativa. That's really scientific, not so much. Um, but when, what we've talked about for years is that sativa is uplifting, indica is calming, as he said. As we've learned more about the other components of cannabis, what we've realized is Skip the sativa and indica. Look at your terpene profiles because that's what's driving the effects. So sativa strains, in quotes, you can't see me because it's radio, but sativa strains, in quotes, are typically high pinene and limonene dominant type strains. Pinene is the smell of pine trees in nature. That's an essential oil that is typically part of some of these strains. What's the effect of walking through a pine forest? Can you feel down and depressed walking through a pine forest? Smelling a Christmas tree, does it lift your spirits? Of course it does, unless you're um, Scrooge or somebody like that or, or the grand. But if you, it's very hard to be down when you have lemon smells or energizing smells. 
So as we've learned more, we've realized it's not about sativa indica. It's about what are the terpenes in these things and what are the medical effects of them. So sativa indicas have different terpene profiles. Myrcene is going to be dominant or in your indica strains. Myrcene is very sedating. There is your effect on your indica. Sativa is typically pinene, limonene, and others like that that are more energizing. And it's really about those. And as we've learned more about the components, that is how we start to tailor this to people's needs. Not so much sativa indicas anymore. And the other issue with that is that you can say, here's a sativa strain and have two people use it and you'll get completely different effects. A sativa strain, if I smoke a sativa strain, I'm going to have a pure full on panic attack, like adrenaline rush, just awful. Like the worst feeling ever my partner will go to sleep. It doesn't bother him in the slightest. And whether that's, again, the gender difference, I don't know, but it just tells you that you cannot specifically direct people towards one strain or another because you can't assume anything when it comes to cannabis. Thoughts, Ashley? Fairly accurate, because I know we get into this conversation with people asking about indicas and sativas all the time, and you do a lot of education around look to effects and how they're working for you as opposed to strain types yeah i mean i I think you you hit the nail on the head is that they this indica sativa designations have long been the simplest way for people to decide how to use cannabis and they're not overly interested in letting that go so (laughs) you know if you talk to licensed producers if you talk to clinics they'll tell you no no we've tried not to use those terms as we've learned about terpenes and other compounds in the plants i mean we're learning about terpenes they're still discovering cannabinoids they just discovered thcp very recently i mean there's a lot of of uh you know of different um factors in how a plant affects you but people don't necessarily want to embark on you know a chemistry lesson so how do you tread that line of them them swearing up and down to you that no this sativa does this to me this indica does this to me and and educate along the way and it's um you know it's, it's a process that's made a little more difficult now that legalization has happened because you're not going into a store and having a bud tender explain dominant terpenes to you but you will have them say, this is an indica, this is a sativa. So we've kind of, you know, had to really step back and say, can we meet people where they are? And usually where they are is in the couch, right? And that that becomes, you know, the place we go. But, you know, with with Sheikian members and with this community, they kind of start to do exactly what Aaron's saying, which is they go, hmm, this is not making me tired. Like, why doesn't indica can make me tired and then we get to kind of crack that open and say okay you know there's something called terpenes and there's there's enough members that in the community who've been patients longer than you know a year longer than three years longer than five years who are happy to say you know what you need is something with the dominated terpenes xyz and you know you'll have this effect and then you'll use your vaporizer at this temperature to maximize the boiling point so you know, they're leading through peer experience. It's not an easy conversation to have. And I think, you know, the gender differences and and you add in there, as Aaron's mentioned, like cycles and sensitivity to THC and just biological differences. You know, historically, we really haven't talked to women a lot about using cannabis. Um, And and more and more are starting to put up their hands and say, listen, I've been a guinea pig myself for years. So let's be part of some of this science. And and they're brilliant. They'll go from asking a question about how to use reuse their roaches. 
right? So how do I, you know, what do you do with your roaches? To what's the boiling point of Delta three carrying? And that's okay. like that is, you know, that is, I have, you know, I have women in their seventies uh, teaching women in their eighties how to, you know, calculate milligrams per milliliter. And it's incredible. It's, it's incredible to me because it's intergenerational change and it's empowerment through education. And it's really the only, the only way to move something that is so misunderstood forward is, is meet people where they're at and then dole out what they need so that they can give it to others. Yeah. You know, and, and that word empowerment is so important because that's what it is. You know, we've gotten two army guys here, JC and I, you know, and you being a medic, JC, we just go in, take this pill, have this, this, to, you know, and you listen, you just listen, right? You don't, you don't question, you got to believe the professional and stuff. And <clears throat> so, you know, with cannabis, it's medical cannabis, it's, it's incredible uh, being able to share your experiences and, and share what works for you versus what works, doesn't work for you. And uh, we have, a, you know, Devin Larratt, for example, in our team, you know, he, uh, <clears throat> that indica, uh, sativa thing doesn't it means nothing to him right he, he he can smoke a sativa and go to bed or he could use a, a indica and and he's doing an eight-hour workout you know curling 800 pounds getting ready for this world championship defense and arm wrestling right so it's uh it is very individualized and it's really good especially you know to hear you know she can being able to create that kind of awareness and education for them and and aaron especially with what you're saying is terpenes are a huge part of it right terpenes is how i choose my cannabis actually it's not you know I, if i want cbd i go right down to the specifics of what the terpenes are in that cbd uh and then at nighttime and i tend to use a lot of flour and convert it into oil because it's hard to get oils in individually specific for me right so that's why i'll use the magical butter machine and and there's a lot of us and and i've been on you know being on she can i see it all the time people talking about recipes talking about this and sharing these incredible stories and you know uh i had the advantage of working with uh the alan alda foundation when i was in boston uh, last year and, um, you know, part of their mandate is to create an empathetic approach for doctors to get that bedside manner back, you know, and it's, it, you know, we're, we've gotten so used to these 15 minute, one condition appointment versus uh, 30 minutes, uh, two condition appointments, if it's a specialty thing. But uh, part of it is, is having that empathetic approach and, and listening to the patient. Aaron, and, and you said it, we do that a lot at Spartan as well, right? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that, um, encourages that sort of individualized approach is PTSD in and of itself is not a homogenous disease or homogenous condition. You will have people um, diagnosed with PTSD that are um, experiencing a wide range of symptoms and may be very different from one day to the next. And so when we're trying to advise somebody on how to manage those kinds of symptoms, you have to understand the fluidity of them and the fact that people might need to change what they're doing from one day to the next. So in order to empower them, um, because cannabis at its base is it, it, the best thing it does is empower patients to take control of their own symptoms, uh, which I love about it. Um, in order to empower them, uh, education is essential in understanding things like what are terpenes how do they affect me when i'm recommending products or licensed producers for patients to try 
I'm generally thinking about what the terpene balances are in these products and looking at what I think might help, at least as a starting point for people. But uh, helping people understand the science is really important and helping people understand that brain biochemistry in many of these conditions is altered. And when we get into endocannabinoid system, and that's beyond the talk, this talk, but when we get into the differences in the endocannabinoid systems that happen with things like PTSD is a great example, that's when you need to start to look a little deeper into how are you going to rebalance the endocannabinoid system using plant-based cannabinoids. That's the whole goal 90% of the time is rebalancing a whacked out endocannabinoid system. Virtually every condition that we treat with cannabis is a result of an imbalance somehow in the endocannabinoids. And that's what the research mm -hmm. is focusing on now is looking at what's the balance problem and what product do we look at to fix it. Even cancers are floating up as being unbalanced endocannabinoid systems. And that's why there's so much research at different points. But we are beyond THC and CBD now. There's so many other things that are coming out. And as that continues to go forward, we're going to refine how we approach this even more. But patient education is going to be essential. If they don't get it from us, they're not getting it from every, anywhere else because there's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot. We spend a lot of time correcting things and, you know, advising people that move. You might want to look at this study instead and that kind of thing. A lot of misinformation. Is that is is that is that the norm though for a lot of doctors now? Is um, the ones that aren't were so much adopting uh, prescribing medical cannabis is because they they just don't understand it. They don't they don't have a guideline. They don't have a book that tells them what to do. Is it is it is that sort of what are the obstacles right now for for the medical side? Well, GC would understand this well, and and I know Ashley's had numerous convert uh, conversations with practitioners as well, but. Medical uh, professionals are trained to diagnose, prescribe, and manage conditions based on what is called evidence-based practice. Um, um, true evidence-based practice is guided by something called a randomized controlled trial, double-blind. Uh, and what that means is you've got two groups, one that's using the treatment, one that isn't, and you don't know which patient has what treatment they've been randomly assigned to those groups. You try to make the patients in those groups as identical as possible. And you have to come up with what's called a placebo, a fake medication to balance against the real stuff. The problem has been with medical cannabis or cannabis in general is how do you come up with a fake medical Babylon. cannabis product? Anybody Babylon. who's used cannabis in the past, if you hand them a joint and say, you smoke this, they're going to know right away. You know, so then that breaks that sort of blind. The other problem has been standardization of products. Everybody's got different stuff. They're all slightly different. As we were talking, terpene balances, virtually every licensed producer has a different terpene balance to their CBD oil, for example. So what do you pick to test? So this has been some of the barrier around getting that level of evidence that medical doctors and healthcare professionals want. And because that doesn't exist, it's like, talk to us when it does exist. We don't want to learn anything, and there are that's not everybody. There are a lot of physicians that are great. They've started studying. They've started doing their own learning. Um, but the, there are a lot of physicians that, because they were never trained about the endocannabinoid system in their undergrad medical days, it was never talked about. It's just not something that they're comfortable with at all. And there's a whole political piece around um, prescribing, or physicians in particular, 
uh, again, beyond the con uh, context of this conversation, but that is also another barrier. But we frequently have patients coming to us going, I talked to my family doctor and they are either not comfortable, they don't believe in it, or I'm scared that they're going to fire me if I talk to them. What can I do? I want to try this, but I can't go to the practitioner that I know because I'm afraid. Or I did, and they said no. And that's where we come in and where people like she can come in is to encourage people and normalize it and say, this is how you how you go forward. I noticed, Ashley, you changed the cover page on the group this morning to say, if you're interested in medical cannabis, we can help you. That's her cover photo right now saying, and that tells you everything you need to know is that a year into legislation, how many years into medical? 2001, 2020, 19 years into medical, we still have people that need help and support. We're here for you. So um, it has to start with people in the community helping and supporting patients in, in how to access, because many just don't know. And they don't know where it's safe to go. Um, and you and I have had numerous conversations about ethics. Uh, Ashley and I share an, an ethical bond that is unbreakable um, that uh, members of the military would appreciate because you guys have the same, same ethical standards. And we have thought through our, our fair share of ethical concerns. Uh, and our goal is always to guide patients to the best possible, um, best possible option for them that will keep them safe but also with compassion and empathy and appropriate knowledge to support them. And that's important. And Spartan, we, we try to remove the labels as well, because someone who experiences trauma as a child versus someone who experiences trauma as an adult, the symptoms are, are still similar, right? And, and that's where the treatment comes in. And that's where it's so important. Do, uh, you know, I could throw this back at you, Aaron, real quick is, do you find, do you find that you, you, that, that is part of your 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 process is to sort of destigmatize which which injuries more has more value I guess we can call it versus somebody else's injury and, and so forth like mental or, or physical injuries. Well, typically what I do is I do a couple things. I with our veterans we already always know what the awards have been, what the pension conditions are. So I'm 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 tuned into that, but. Just because a patient has PTSD as a diagnosis doesn't mean that they need or want help managing their symptoms of PTSD. They may be doing very well from a PTSD symptom perspective with the assistance of their mental health team. They may be quite happy with the medications that they're on, not experiencing negative side effects. Fine. That, that's that's I, great. I, that's exactly what I want to hear. But what is keeping them awake at night is not their nightmares and their flashbacks, it's their back pain. So can I do something about helping manage the back pain? But at the same point, remembering this patient has PTSD and may have some nocturnal symptoms or nighttime symptoms that may benefit as well. Um, great. But it's all about what's the patient's priority. So one of the things I ask about is not just diagnoses, they're on paper anyway. What are your symptoms? What's the what's what's challenging you? And I, when I get to the sleep, I will say to them, what's affecting your sleep the most? Is it anxiety? Is it pain? Are you having nightmares? What's going on? And you try to dial down to what exactly is the patient's story from a symptom point of view and then tailor your recommendations accordingly. Lots of patients will not have the if you make a mis the, the mistake of just looking at PTSD and go, oh, they're managing PTSD, you're going to miss it. Ask the patient what they're looking to manage in terms of a symptom. 
Because as I said, maybe the PTSD is not the priority. It's the fact that their back is killing them mm-hmm. and they're not sleeping. So then you're going to tackle back pain, not PTSD per se. It's just there. It's not part of your um, overall process. But that's a conversation with the patient. I let the patient drive what I would call the goals of treatment. It's a question I ask, and it's up to them to tell me what they want out of it. And of course, uh, back pain or any pain uh, in general normally brings you right back to mental health. If you're in pain, you you're you're not happy you're not doing well and that can exacerbate your ptsd and so forth so it's it's definitely a vicious circle for sure i remind patients that and when i'm doing teaching uh with healthcare providers um i remind people of the cost of chronic pain and the cost of chronic pain is anxiety depression poor sleep poor appetite poor concentration etc 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 whether you have a diagnosis on paper of any of those things or not, it doesn't matter. It, they can be there. And if you have a diagnosis of those things, they can be a lot worse if you're constantly in pain and not sleeping. So fixing sleep is a huge thing. Ashley, you've, you've been around for a while. You've, you've helped a lot of people. You've been in this community as, an, as, as probably one of the best advocates we've seen, uh, especially for the women. And I will say that from the heart. I've known you for a while and, and I know what your, your passion is. We've had those talks. So I know where your respect, integrity, your honesty is. And, and, and it's, 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 it's incredible. What is the best cannabis story you can talk about? Like what, out of all your experiences? Uh, you know what? I, I can think of one and I, I, I'm really glad this isn't video for the public to see because I'm probably going to cry and you know, it's going to surprise you because I have so many success stories, um, that I've collected and, and kind of kept, you know, sacred and, and I carry them forth into any opportunity I get to talk and, and thank you. Um, for having me on because I think it is important to have the patient voice and anytime I'm able to speak you know about my story but about others is is really a a privilege and a responsibility I take seriously so the story that sits with me the most is actually um, it's it's actually a story from from last summer we had a member join because her mom had late stage cancer and she was palliative. They lived in Saskatchewan, rural Saskatchewan, and um, her mom was dead set against ever trying cannabis, medical or otherwise, she wasn't gonna try it. And her daughter was looking for anything she could do for her mom. And so of course our instinct with somebody who is, is palliative is actually to often to send them directly to Erin because of Erin's oncology experience. In this case, this woman, she was a she was a tough, stubborn woman. She was not parting with her beliefs around cannabis, and it was THC in particular. She just, you know, I mean, how how far do you push someone who's you know in in end stage cancer, right? Like how how much do you you know how much THC do you try and sneak into their lives if that's something they're resistant to? So what we arrived at was trying to find a product knowing she wouldn't go for a medical authorization, trying to find a product actually on the adult use market that her daughter could go and drive into you know, the closest town and go to the dispensary and, and purchase that and at least have her mom try it. So, you know, she was looking for sleep. 
relief. She was looking for, um, you know, some pain relief. And of course, those are things that right away, of course, we're going to talk about THC, but that's a barrier. So what, what do we do? As it turns out, you know, there's a, there's a single product on the market that is high CBN. So it's a high CBN, one-to-one actually with THC. But we, you know, there's enough anecdotal experience around CBN from when you have really old cannabis and you, you leave it alone and, and then you go back later and it makes you sleep well. So, you know, okay, the science is, is getting there, but we do understand there's some good sedating properties to CBN and we understand that anecdotally, you know, THC may work well with it. So she managed to convince her mom that this was, this was something she could try. And, and she did. And for a few months, her mom was able to sleep and she was out of pain enough that she could be present with her family. And uh, this woman though, she was not getting a medical <laughs> authorization. She was, still, she was still not gonna do it. And you know, I mean, kudos to her daughter who just you know, stayed the course. And this woman, the, the, the heartbreaking part for me was, and this is why you know I get up every day, is that progress is a process, but we have a lot of work to do still. Because I want to make sure that when someone is palliative and they are spending those last days and months with their family, they have access to whatever it is they need. And they shouldn't have to drive into town and go to a local dispensary to get something that is indeed medicine for them. And it worked so well that the daughter started to stock up on bottles just to make sure she had enough for her mom. And she would reach out to me privately and we would discuss it. And I actually went to to the licensed producer directly and said, you know, this is the case. And it wasn't a product they ended up bringing into the medical stream. So we got resourceful and, and the daughter drove to different locations and told her her mom's story. And, and uh, you know, a few months ago, um, they moved her mom in, into hospital because she, she couldn't be in hospice anymore. And the nurses were so great. The nurses and the pharmacist at the hospital said, we're learning so much and look at this is working for your mom and we're going to make sure she gets it when she needs it. And her mom passed away um, almost two months ago now. And she, she emailed me and she said, thank you. You know, this is, this gave us those days. This gave us comfort for her. This gave us an opportunity we wouldn't have had. And that story is my best cannabis story because it shows me how important community is, but it also shows me how much opportunity there is for people to use this as medicine. People who maybe are still out there, you know, in rural Saskatchewan, in, you know, Northern Alberta, in Winnipeg saying, well, that's not something I would ever try. And I want to make sure that the future looks like easier access and more information. And that story reminds me of what a privilege it is to be able to speak on behalf of patients, to be a patient myself, and, you know, to move this forward. I'm stubborn. <laughs> Riyadh, you know that. <laughs> I, am, I am stubborn myself. And uh, uh, somebody asked me, I remember this, they asked me when it was, when she can was 700 patients, they asked me how I was ever going to keep the culture um, one of compassion. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that's the challenge, right? Like that that was a challenge. I felt I was being leveled a challenge. And so now we sit at over 9,000 and I can comfortably say that we have achieved that. 
it is still a compassionate culture. And that compassion is really what fuels acceptance of medical cannabis. So if we can do it at 700, we can do it at 7,000, we can do it at 70,000. I have no doubt mm -hmm. because it's not me, it's mm -hmm. we. It's team. It's great things happen together for sure. And, and you, you hit it right on the nail. It's about quality of life, right? It's, it's, you know, we all strive. You have an injury. We want to get better. We want to, we want to feel better mentally, physically. It's all about quality of life. It's all about being able to hang with your family, your friends, to, to socialize, to feel empowered, to feel confident, to go to work, to feel confident just to live your life and live it the best you can. And, and I, I can honestly say is, is you know, from that story to the stories we hear all the time and, and personally witnessing myself along with so many other patients and everything, it's, 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 it's giving people a quality of life back. And, you know, uh, the veterans out there, when we fill out that quality of life form, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, it's so surreal. I remember doing it. I'm no, no, no. You know what I mean? It, you just, it's almost a self-realization that, wow, I don't have a very good quality of life. Yeah, it's it's all in the negatives. Yeah, but cannabis yeah. is just doing that, and she can's doing that, and and there and you know, Aaron, you're doing that on your day to day basis. It's incredible, uh, Ashley. Like I said, you know, uh, from the day I met you till now, very powerful you are, and and you're doing incredible things with the she can. Um, uh, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna move ahead, obviously, because we've got to. But let's talk about COVID and cannabis they're starting to see some research coming out we saw some from israel we have the uh uh lethbridge university coming out chio uh Spiron's part of a chio uh, study for covid and, and 19 which is coming out soon and um you know we want to what, what is the feedback with covid and 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 cannabis what's your what's your take and, and what what's what's the shecan group saying well uh i i think it's it's an interesting topic because you know, COVID is all anybody's talking about, and we're we're in our houses, and uh, you know, sixty four percent of SheCan members are using more cannabis to help manage their anxiety related to this. So there's, it, it's a very interesting time. I mean, this is really the only time in human civilization where everyone is experiencing the same thing. And there's no one that is unaware of this in the entire world. So. The meaning we assign to it when we look at our own personal circumstances. So as a medical cannabis patient, obviously, I want to believe that there is something in this medicine that has changed my life that will also be the answer to something that is a global issue. And it's a global unknown. I think that um, I really encourage um, SheCan members. I would almost say that I maybe very politely bully them into exercising media literacy. Because as much as we want hope, we also want to manage expectation. And cannabis's reputation is so delicate that it's important to see what we know for sure and see it mm -hmm. as the promise it could be. And the, the research out of Lethbridge especially, I, I think is promising in terms of what it could be. What always frightens me um, is when people bring me, you know, spinoff articles that have gone far yeah. from the source, right? So far from what this, the researchers at the University of Lethbridge actually said, and the, the headline becomes, and you know, people <laughs> don't always read articles. I'm guilty of it. There's too many, right? The headline becomes cannabis cures COVID. And we've gone from here, which is promise to 
here, which is a cure. And in the middle are all the steps we need to take to legitimize this. So I'm always encouraging people to really understand that. We try and unpack as much of a so that they, they do have that opportunity. You know, there's no shame in not understanding. There's no shame in reading a headline and believing it. Um, but it, it's it's really important with the science of cannabis to be able to feel comfortable knowing there's so much that we don't know. And these are opportunities for, you know, in-depth research, you know, that is exciting in itself, right? Even if it's not, even if we don't get to the point where cannabis has any relationship with COVID that doesn't negate, this plant's potential for having an impact on so many things. And, you know, it, it may not be curing COVID, certainly not doing that. And you'll never hear me say that, but you know, it's uh, it's certainly helping people manage, you know, a, a real sense of uncertainty and, and, you know, insecurity. And, and that itself is, is something that is probably worth reporting on. And that's so important too. Right. And Aaron, maybe you can comment on that is the fact that cannabis is not just, you know, uh, we hear, you know, one pill does this or one pill does that. The beauty about cannabis is you can treat uh, effectively several conditions with one medicine, right? Once you break it down, terpenes and so forth. And and that's the beauty of it. And I always say any research, good or bad, is research. And if you get the information, it'll, it'll lead you along the way. But really, we're seeing a, almost a reverse in how research was done in a sense as you see the scientists come up with the theories and the hypothesis and then they go and do their 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 two double blind studies like you were saying. But now we have all this information anecdotally coming into us that can help drive more concentrated research. So it's it's so it's it's a really good magical combination for the two. But Aaron, like I was saying, if you could comment maybe just on 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 that itself about treating several several conditions with cannabis uh, as opposed to the the traditional medicine we're used to well sure so cbd is obviously a hot topic but it, and it's an excellent example of something that as we learn about how it works and how it interacts with the body's cells that in fact we have massive potential to treat a variety of different uh, disorders so we know already that uh, because it um, affects the same receptors as traditional anti-anxiety and antidepressant medications um, uh, called SSRIs, it, it attaches to the same receptors, meaning that it legitimately is a treatment for that type of condition that you would think, okay, let's try Prozac or something like that. You could potentially go to CBD. We know it's an excellent anti-inflammatory because it affects, uh, again, receptors. So as you understand the science of how it works, you start to look at traditional medicines and go, okay, that is a replacement for that one. That is a replacement for that one. So SSRI's potential uh, support or replace depending on the patient's goals. Um, anti-inflammatories, again, uh, Celebrex, uh, Diclofenac, well, those kinds of medications can potentially be replaced partially because of the way CBD interacts with the cells. It's being explored for uh, prevention and management of chronic brain injuries as a result of repetitive concussions. Um, I'm interested in future research because we see so many blast injuries in our PTSD patients. They will come through with hearing loss and tinnitus, but what's happened to their brain and all that process? So did they have a an undiagnosed brain injury that we've missed? So are there, is there potential for CBD to help and support in the brain recovery? 
um, mefloquine, is there a potential there? There's so much that we don't know, but as we understand more about the chemistry of CBD, and this is where the the, the, the lab research, the, the rats and that, the research at the cell level becomes so important because it helps us understand the potential in the real world when we know where it tackles things. There, there's enormous potential, as Ashley says, but I'm also conscious as she is that we have to not hold this up as a panacea and a cure for everything because it's not that. And we have to wait for research and evolution of understanding. The COVID thing, um, initially, I didn't believe it. I was like, no, come on. This has got to be something that, again, is coming from God knows what source on social media. Dug down, found the Lethbridge-based information and went, okay, maybe we have something here. It makes logical sense if you understand how COVID affects the body, that potentially CBD, for example, might be helpful. But we, we're ways away from understanding whether that's, in fact, true. Because as you said, we don't understand this disease. This is an evolving uh, conditions so we can't use a single treatment and assume that it's going to work um in in the case of of, of covid use it treating um it with cbd may or may not be effective but researching it's important i've lost count of the number of times in my career when i've read a study that researched a particular product for x condition only to find out that it was actually effective mm -hmm. for y so a lot of what we know about drugs is from research that went in a different direction as they got started so as Ashley said, maybe it's not going to be the answer to COVID, but is it answered an answer to another virus that's out there? One, maybe one we don't even know yet. So the research is immensely valuable, but we do have to be very careful with people assuming that, oh, if I just take my daily dose of CBD every day, I don't need to wash my hands or wear my mask or social distance or do all of these other things that we're advising people to do. It can be an adjunct to support your immune system in this time, um, which if your stress is reduced, um, but we can't hold it up as uh, something that is going to protect you, um, mm -hmm. not at this moment. Uh, I was going to ask, Aaron, um, what has uh, your patient population, how have they been dealing with the COVID thing that you've been talking to them on a daily basis? Is it, has there been a lot of uh, negative effects or are they okay? I, I know from a veteran standpoint, uh, and I say this, you know, since this started, we've been training for this forever because we love to self-isolate. So this is our thing, right? So uh, how, have you noticed that uh, from your patient population? Absolutely. It's kind of it's kind of amusing because I remember us having a conversation when all of this was first starting and how we were going to support our patient population as we moved forward. And I was concerned because I actually was very concerned that this would feel like being back in a war zone and that we would have all of these patients triggered. I was quite scared. In fact, what's happened is absolutely the what you've said, JC, is that I have talked to a number of, and I'm, I'm starting my assessments with, how are you doing with all the craziness going on right now? As kind of open-ended question, uh, try to lighten the mood a little bit. And the vast majority have said exactly what you said, JC. Been training for this my whole life. No problem. Social isolation, love it. And all of a sudden now I'm allowed to be socially isolating without anybody giving me our dime about it. So the vast majority of our veteran population is doing very well. A significant number of our civilian population is not. And that is because of a variety of issues, whether it's the fact that the kids are home and they're driving people crazy, uh, worried about the future, worried about jobs, worried about the economy, worried about their mortgage, uh, patients who've been unfortunately not able to access 
important maintenance treatments, physiotherapy, massage therapy, chiropractic, are complaining of more and more and more pain. Um, I'm grateful to the mental health teams. They stepped up and went uh, virtual almost right away. So the vast majority of our patients receiving psychiatric and psychological support have continued to do so. But the physical stuff has gone out the window. So we have not been able to manage pain um, as we have in the past. And that's what we need to get back to now. And it's those patients that I'm currently worrying mostly about. Our veterans have actually done extremely well. They're really good at following orders. So this was just another order from a from from a superior that was respected and let's go forward and we don't question because that's how we're trained. And we'll see the outcome when we see the outcome. Right. And again, that's the mindset for the military. The public, civilian public, not <laughs> as easy. Um, not as easy. It's uh it's that we're definitely in we're definitely in some crazy times, but you know, um, I think overall, as Canadians, we've done well. Uh, and, and you know, it, it is the groups like She Can and, and Spartan and, uh, you know, all those other groups out there that are that are doing our best job to try to help people understand, mitigate and and get through it. Uh, one thing we do on the show, girls, is uh, uh, we always we say, you know, who, who would be your superhero? Right. And uh, it's just, you know, we just do a fun thing on a reflection ourselves. But I, I think. Today, I want to start. I normally don't, but I want to start. And I'm going to just say it. Uh, both of you are, are my superhero for today, for sure. Because, uh, you know, having experienced She Can on a personal level, Ashley, knowing you, and then Aaron, you know, having having been part, you know, you're part of Spartan and, and the vision us co-founders had from the beginning, you know, you've upheld that culture. And Ashley, what you do is is just incredible for the case. So to, I'm going to just say it. Today, for sure, both of you are my heroes and, and, and all the people that are out there that are helping Canadians mitigate through life to get empowerment and quality of life are heroes as well. So today, I want to say both of you are my heroes. Not, Yeah, yeah. I can echo that. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> Normally, I would say I'm Kung Fu Panda, but uh, yeah, you went totally sentimental. So I have to follow suit and i totally agree with you they are absolutely but on a side note jc i did sure. watch kung fu panda uh with the girls and the tiger guy that huge <laughs> thing there and everything i i i told yeah told Rika, you know my daughter i says yeah geez jealous cowboys uh that's that's his superhero and she said well who's your superhero i said i'm the tiger guy but in my in my panda i win so, <laughs> but ladies, yeah. who's, what would you say is your, you know, who, if you were to refer to a superhero, who would you, who would you say? Ashley, you could start. Um, you know what? I have two that are equally um, as powerful um, influences on me as anything. And those are my daughters. Um, you know, they're 11 and 15. And they are finding their way, they're finding their voice. And especially now, you know, during COVID, because this is really hard on our small humans. It's, it's hard and we can't fix this for them. There, there was no guidebook to parenting through a pandemic. And they're my superheroes because they're incredibly resilient. And, you know, my, my eldest daughter, um, you know, she, she struggles with depression and she's open about it. And, and that to me is, is brave. Because to be 15 and to say, yeah, this is hard and I don't always feel great. And, and I don't know why I feel so much to, to be able to be so introspective is, is really courageous. 
but she's taken it a step further and found a routine that works for her. And she has realized that, you know, exercise really helps her manage that. It's not about, you know, her, her body or the way she, you know, wants to look in a bikini. For her, it's about her mental state and being able to sleep at night. And I just, I'm watching these two, you know, just grow into themselves. And it is so powerful because it's not my job to tell them what to do anymore. It's, it's my job to witness what it is they're becoming. And, um, you know, my, my youngest through this entire thing has, has really become so authentic about her vulnerability, you know, about the things that bother her about the big, you know, at 11 and 15, they're starting to have issues that are not small. You know, they have, you know, they have friends that are experiencing family violence or, you know, they're worried about the state of the world or, you know, how they're going to impact it. They're worried about climate change. Like these are not small things. This isn't where you, you know, where did you put your poly pocket? This is, you know, a substantial and meaningful transition into adulthood and they're handling it so beautifully and they keep me accountable. They keep me accountable, not only to myself, um, you know, from a perspective of wanting to do better and do more, but they also keep me accountable to reminding myself that, you know, we, we all have to find some self-compassion and empowerment and they're just doing such a good job. It is. It is. And you said it perfect, you know, that we, we got to help guide the small humans through things. Right. So it's uh, it, it, it's uh, as a parent, actually, it's nice to see that we're actually being good role models and they're, they, you know, we're not, we're not going to be having them live in our house every day for the next 20 years. Right. So, but uh, no, that's beautiful. Aaron, what do you, what, what would you, uh, how would you add to that Aaron, your superhero? Um, this is going to be a tough one, but I'm going to actually um, say that as of today, my superhero is that the the general whose name I was just trying to madly Google that wrote the report on the long term care situation in the province of Ontario. That guy has probably saved both well, him and his team have likely saved thousands and thousands of lives by yeah. blowing the doors off that situation. I've been aware of it for decades. Uh, have worked within the community care system and experienced firsthand uh, some of what was going on there and have had patients that were uh, personal support workers dealing with PTSD as a result of conditions in the homes and have never known what direction to go in to change any of this. So um, I'm immensely grateful uh, to the military and their presence there because I think they, they are the difference that we've needed and the courage um, on the part of the, 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 the general that is leading the, um, the mission um, in speaking up, speaking out. And um, the general public, if you are on Twitter or any social media platform right now, people are screaming for the military mm -hmm. to be everywhere. Uh, right now in all of these long-term care centers. So to me, that tells us that there's a the general public out there agrees in superhero status for, for our military members right now. I'm hopeful and praying that they will watch their own me mental health right now because uh, being exposed to this uh, is not easy. Um, so, but unbelievable work, guys. Unbelievable. Thank you. Wow. Eh? And, and, you know, just to think, you know, it's, it is, we are in definitely some hard times and, and good times at the same time, because people are stepping up and, and, and things are happening for a positive change. And, 
and we're helping each other. There's a message from the heart that we usually do. JC, you want to you wanna take it from here? Yeah, you bet I do. I always keep it short or, or drag it on. I, I don't know. I don't really. Uh, so what I... What I've been doing is Googling inspirational quotes because uh, my message from the heart is never great, right? But uh, this is the one I had last week, and I love it. Never give up on the things that make you smile. I, lo I love that quote. It's short, and it's it's pretty cool, and that's meaningful to me because there's a lot of things that, you know, laughter is the best medicine. And for me, uh, if you know me and hang out with me enough, you know that I'm going to make you laugh, and that's because uh, it's what helps me heal, right? Uh, you know, we yes, we are in hard times. Things are looking up. Um, the weather's looking up. So hopefully, uh, as the uh, uh, curve decreases or flattens, uh, we're going to be able to get out more and be with our loved ones again. For sure. Thanks, JC. Um, Ashley, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find out about SheCan? Well, if they are a patient or interested in becoming one and they are living in this big wide country of ours they can certainly join request to join the community on facebook um and we have a facebook page and also the the closed and private facebook community so we've got a few questions um that we ask patients just to to keep members or prospective members um you know aligned with our vision and goals and uh if if there's somebody who's interested but uh you know not so facebook inclined uh, a lot of our advocacy work takes place on twitter so um you know that's where we do a lot of the the public outreach and and the discussion around the larger issues affecting people beyond just our you know our community and our demographic and and we really believe that we can reflect the needs of all canadian patients you know veterans women and and civilians who are you know are seeking a better quality of life so, you know, you can find us on Twitter you can find us on Facebook um, and you can you can find us on Instagram. But I don't know, man, I don't. That's not a platform I really use. Like, I'm not, I'm not you know, don't find us on Instagram. It's it's not it's not a good place. One of the other two, Facebook or Twitter. Um, we're always happy to have new members and we know that um, you'll be warmly welcomed. Ashley and Aaron, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, learn more. What's the uh, best way? Um, through Spartan Wellness. Uh, if you go to spartanwellness.ca um, and there is an interest form linked to what is called an interest form, you can complete information, contact information. One of our team members will reach out to you to see how we can assist. Uh, we don't just uh, assess veterans, I assess civilians as well. So if you're interested in, in chatting uh, with us, uh, we'd be happy to, uh, to, to try to assist you. Thank you, Aaron. That, that, that's awesome. Listen, everybody, uh, thank you for listening. Ashley, Aaron, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to do this again because there's just so much more I think we can talk about. And there's just uh, it's always evolving, Ashley. So I feel, you know, if if we can invite you back, I hope you accept right? because we want you back for sure. Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, JC, thanks for joining us. Everybody, listen, Spartan Hour. It was a little bit of a long one today, but it was worth it. Lots of information. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, another show coming down the, down the road. Uh, stay tuned. All my best. Bye-bye.